Amen. Y'all can be seated. You may open your Bibles to John 1. John chapter 1. Well, last week, I don't know uh, how many who are here today were here at the first service last week, but that was the only service we had. Um, so in the, uh, if, if uh, you were not here last week uh, at all, I'm going to go back over last week's sermon quickly uh, to bring us up to date on this one. We're, I'm, I'm doing what I guess would be a short series. Most, uh, most guys like myself do these kind of things in December. Um, and uh, this year, God just had, has led me to John 1. And uh, our Christmas play was about, uh, well, it was the Christmas carol, but rewritten uh, so that it, it had the uh, very clear message that only Jesus can transform a life. But uh, in that, uh, the ministering spirits, uh, we, didn't, we don't have ghosts in the church. A ghost is just a demon impersonating a dead person, in case you don't know that. Ghosts are real, yes, I believe in ghosts, but ghosts are demons impersonating dead people. So just help you with that. So when you like to watch a ghost hunters and all that, and you see these ghosts, they're just looking at a demon. So, uh, of course, when Dickens wrote, they, they weren't thinking in those terms necessarily. But, uh, but the Bible calls angels ministering spirits. So in our play, we never refer to them as a ghost. They are a ministering spirit uh, to help Scrooge understand his life so that he can repent and be saved. So we, anyway, we did that, but it was, the, you know the story, the past, present, and future. And I got to thinking about Jesus where was he in our past? And that's kind of uh, part of what I want to ask today. In fact, that's uh, a great question. I, I remember being in school and studying theology very intently. And uh, just the idea that Jesus existed before. And I went back to my church because I pastored while I was in school. Uh, 125 miles away. That was kind of hard on the weekends. But anyway, we did it. And, uh, and, and I went back and I asked them the question, where was Jesus before Bethlehem? And did you know people didn't know? They thought that Jesus began to exist in Bethlehem. But that's not true. He entered human existence in Bethlehem. And I'll show you that from our passage today, that, that Jesus always was. And that's what we covered last week. And now today, in, and this is in his timeline, the past, his present when he came to earth in human form, that, that he, in that present, who is he? And then his future is us, that people can know him, that we, the church has uh, been born. And now the church, in the church, we can know Christ and we act as the body of Christ. But that's next week, and we'll look at that. But today I call this the Christmas question. And it's a question that only God can answer. And, and in fact, that's what I want you to take home with you today. Only God can answer the Christmas question. You say, well, what is the Christmas question? Well, I don't want to get to that to the end of the sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. Look at the last verse that we're going to cover, which is verse 18 of John 1. And this is what it says. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The Christmas question is, how can a man see God? And the answer is, you've got to look at Jesus. Okay. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus. Let's stand up. I'm going to read this short passage here. And then I'm going to jump into it, both feet, and going to talk fast. So you're going to have to listen fast, all right? Beginning in verse 14, Scripture says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that this, according to uh, Peter, the, the one who unlocked the door that we could be saved, that, that, uh, that you gave him the keys that the Holy Spirit could come, both at Pentecost and to the Samaritans and then ultimately to the Gentiles, that we could know you and be part of your body. Lord, he wrote that, that even though he had touched you and even though he'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw you and saw your glory and saw those amazing things, he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy, the scriptures that are written. So, Lord, we thank you that though uh, we, we wish sometimes we could have been like those men that got to uh, see you and hang out with you and touch you and eat with you and, and talk with you, Lord, we have a more sure word about you, which is the word of God. So help us this day to understand. Open our eyes of understanding so we can see clearly. Lord, we know our enemy is on the move. We know that he uh, desires to steal, to, to slaughter us and to destroy us. But Lord, today we pray that you would protect us, that your spirit would, would uh, just be within us and, and shine out of us. And Lord, that you would give us your mightiest angels to camp about us and protect us. Lord, we pray that you would rebuke the devourer for our sake. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Last week I was in, in, in John 1, 1 through 3. And, and in there, uh, we, we learned a few things. And by the way, these, this passage in John, I said it last week, John 1, 1 through 18. You can make a college course out of those 18 verses and still not plunge your depths. Every time I start thinking about it, talking about it, looking at it, Man, there are like a hundred streams coming off of every little word in, the, in this passage. It's a miracle. It really, it shows the miracle of God that John, within 18 verses, could write so much about Christ and kind of encapsulate it. So I feel like a, a rock thrown across the surface of the, of the ocean where I'm just skipping along, but it goes so deep, I can't, I can't plunge its depths. But so John 1, though, kind of explains the background and what God is up to spiritually out of the Christmas story in Luke 1 and 2, especially in these 18 verses, I mean. And last week, we were in John 1 through 3, where the Word was, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But what that, uh, in Luke, where we would, uh, where we would get that, uh, is that Jesus, who is the Word, is also God. And in Luke 1, verse uh, 30, uh, the angel comes to Mary, and the angel says this, um, and the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a child. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, it is, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then the angel says, and to prove it, go see your cousin Elizabeth. She is six months along, uh, and, and she was called barren. But now she's going to have a baby, because with God, nothing is impossible. And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And and by the way, if you look in Luke 141, did anybody turn there with me? Look, look at Luke 141. I just want to help you with something real quick. 
Uh, so it, it, it really, it's not germane to the sermon, but I just love it so much, I got to bring it out. Now remember, Elizabeth in this verse is six months pregnant. We all understand that term. Six months from conception, three months from giving birth. Mary hangs out with her for three months, takes care of her cousin. The baby that Elizabeth is going to have is named John, the, we call him John the Baptist. His name's going to be John. None of his relatives had ever been named John, which means grace of God. Um, and, and, uh, but his dad said, nope, his name's going to be John. God had struck him uh, where he couldn't speak when God told him what was going to happen because he, he doubted God. God said, okay, I'll show you. You won't talk until the baby's born. And when the baby's born, they were like, what you going to name him? She said, John. They said, no way. Nobody, none of your relatives are named John. Why are you going to do that? And so they asked dad, and dad couldn't talk. And so he motioned for paper, and he wrote, his name is John. And then all of a sudden he could talk, and he prophesied all that. So Luke 141, Mary goes to hang out with Elizabeth. And it says there, and Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from conception. But here's the deal. The very first human being to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. The first person to do that was a six-month baby in the womb. And in our society, you can kill that baby. I'll let that sit. I won't go off on that tangent, but I want to. <laughs> uh, anyway, so last week, we see that Jesus reveals God because he is the word of God. There was none before him. It's the same word as in Genesis, in the beginning, God. When that started, Jesus already was. He, was, he dwelt in eternity with God. There was none before him. He is the source of all of our creation. I remember the little kid in Sunday school said, you know, we, you learn as a little kid, God made everything. And they would tell us that. So I wondered, did he make the cars and the houses? And I, I was like, what does that mean? But he made all the raw material of this world and this universe. He made everything that is. We don't, we don't create, we make. Sort of like the scientists who, who went to God and said, we have finally figured out how to make a man and give him life. And, and, and we can do it just like you did it, out of dirt. And God said, okay, go ahead. And so they gathered up some dirt. And God said, ah, oh, wait, wait, wait. Get your own dirt. Because before creation, there was nothing. And God spoke and it came into existence. None of us create. We reform things. All right? Re, new word, form. We don't reform them. We reform things. We, we take trees and make them into furniture. We, we, you know, we take musical notes and organize them into a melody we take words and organize them into a story but God created all that we don't create anything anyway I'm preached last week's sermon let me stop there's none but God he was with God it says in John 1 1 and the word was with God and that word means toward God uh, and and it, it is an interactive reciprocality which means there was, we always think of, Je well, we don't, we always, I shouldn't have said that, but a lot of times people think Jesus is less than God because he's the son of God and the spirit's less than Christ because the, Jesus sent the spirit, but that's false. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal in power, dominion, essence, and all things, they are equal. But there is an eternal relationship that, that we cannot understand, but we explain that God the Father, God the Son are eternally Together, they're eternally 
the Father and the Son. It is, it is a relationship that God gave us those words just to give us a little hint to what it means. Uh, but we still will never fully comprehend it. So the qualification to be with God in John 1.1 is to be God. You can't be with God unless you are God because that word with means a, a, a closeness that you could be together. In other words, I'm not on any pro football team. I'm not even on a college football team. Never have been. I like to follow, you know, I got my favorites, of course, that y'all know about. Uh, but, but I can't be, I'm with the Clemson Tigers, but I'm not with the Clemson Tigers. Have you ever noticed when your team wins, it's we won, and whenever they lose, it's they lost? You know, it's never we lost, it's they lost. All of a sudden, you don't want to be with them anymore. Well, that word with means, man, no, I'm part of the team. Jesus, when it says, and the word was with God, it means he's eternally God himself. And there's, so there's none equal to him. There's none equal to Jesus. And then Jesus revealed creation. The Bible in John 1.1 1, 1 is letting us know that he made the very things that we can see and that we cannot see. In verse 2, um, he had said uh, he was with God in the beginning, with God, and all things were made through him in verse 3. And without him, not anything was made that was made. And Colossians 1 says things visible and invisible. Do you understand everything visible is made out of the invisible? We cannot see an atom except with a microscope, and an atom is made up of particles so small we, barely, we can't see those. And so, so uh, we learned that last week, that Jesus did all of that, and we learned that Jesus embodies God's character. He brought us life and light and salvation. Verse 4, in him was life, and his light was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Well, today I want to answer the question, the, 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 the Christmas question, how can a man see God. So we're going to look in verse 14, but I want you to turn again back to Luke chapter 2, and I want to give you the, the story, the brief story in Luke. Um, so many times at Christmas, and as a kid, uh, my, my mother was very organized and very neat, extremely, and, and, and I have a weird kind of perfectionism. You know those perfections where everything is always in place? Well, I'm like that if I can get around to it. And if I, can't get a, if I can't start and stop at the same moment, I, it's hard for me to do a project in parts. i got to do it all at once or not at all. It's, it's weird. And I, it's, I fight to overcome it. My wife can be working on something, drop it, go do something else, finish that, come back, pick it up. If I drop it and come back to it, it's going to take me an hour to get back into it. I'm just weird that way, okay? I'll just admit it. And, and, and so it, it's, it's difficult for me to do it. My mom was very neat. So I remember every year going up in the attic, getting out the Christmas boxes and all the ornaments were rewrapped, put back in the original box they were in. I mean, the boxes were falling apart because they were 100 years old. But it was, and I'm exaggerating on 100 years, but they were 40, 50 years old, some of them. And, but perfect. And we brought it out. And what did we bring out every year? Same thing we do at our house. We brought out the manger scene. Have you ever thought about that we bring Jesus out of a box once a year and hang him on a tree and go, isn't that nice? He was born in a manger. And then we pack him up till next year. I don't know if you saw the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Art. I said I wasn't going to use this illustration. But, but, but in the story, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not recommending you go see it, even though it's not bad. You can get it and look at it. But this, this archaeologist discovers the Ark of the Covenant that, that Moses had made as a, uh, a model of what he had seen in heaven. And there was great power to this Ark, and it was kind of fanciful, and it was set in World War II. And then at the end of the movie... The, the hero of the story gets the ark and gets it all the way to America. And the movie ends with a government worker on a forklift 
putting it in a huge warehouse in a box, just stuck in a corner in a box. And that's how we treat God. We box him up, put him away, bring him out once a year to go, look, isn't that cool? Jesus was born in the manger. It means so much more than that. We make an idol out of these things, and yet we don't know the real God, the real Christ. And, and, and I have a burden this year to show you Jesus so you can understand. So in Luke 2, and, and I would just recommend at least read Luke 2 uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, even if you, if you ignore the rest of what the real story is, at least read Luke 2 out loud with your family. But in Luke 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Here the Bible lets us know that there came a date and a time where Jesus would be born. Now, let me refocus you because I've said a lot of stuff. Let me bring you back. And by the way, you can hear the full-blown sermon uh, on the app or online. When it gets there, it's not quite there yet. We've got a great volunteer who does that, but he's a volunteer. He's got a job. Gets to it when he can. We don't have somebody full-time doing that. Uh, so anyway, uh, let me refocus us for a minute. We're talking about Jesus in the present, when G the day Jesus was born. In the past, he's God. He's still God, but Philippians says he set aside his deity, and he came to earth as a man to reveal God to us. He was never anything less than God, but the independent exercise of deity is what he set aside. In other words, when Jesus did a miracle, he didn't do it saying, hey, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. He did it at the will of God and in the power of the Spirit. Jesus said himself, I don't speak any word that the Father doesn't tell me to speak. I mean, you think about that. That's Jesus saying that. He said, I don't say anything the Father doesn't tell I just see where my Father is working, and I do the work he sent me to do. So Jesus was totally submitted to the will of God and dependent on the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit who filled him the Bible says in the same book, John, without measure. In other words, Jesus had full access of the power of the Holy Spirit because he had no sin to hinder the work of the Spirit in his life. Do you understand as a Christian, no matter how um, kind and wonderful you are, you can never do anything without a selfish motive? It is impossible. I mean, you just heard this song. I thank you, Robert, for leading in that song uh, as you play guitar, and, and that's so one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, Lord, I see. And, and, and in there he says, I, help me not to work for a crown because my reward is you. But, but we're proud of being humble. You know? We say, oh, man, finally, I achieved humility. Oh, lost it. You know, and then you got to work at it. As soon as you realize, because, listen, when you're self-aware of your humility, that means you're self-aware and not God-aware. God called us to be so God-aware, we forget ourselves. Jesus was so God-aware, in a sense, he forgot himself so that going to the cross meant this is the will of God, is what I do. Now, he prayed through that, he had to struggle with that. But you and I can't do anything without some degree of selfishness in there. Some degree of self-realization, like, look what God used me to do. I mean, we may couch it in nice religious terms. We, we talk about other people like that. Billy Graham has led this many thousand people to Christ. Let me tell you something. Billy Graham's led nobody to Christ. The Holy Spirit leads people to Christ. But he used Billy Graham, and Billy Graham's a great example of, of, of humility, really is, and uh, continues to be, even though he's with the Lord now. And, and so we struggle through that. We, we, we have trouble with that. And... And when we look here at Christ, 
and his birth when he entered human existence. The Bible tells us in Luke 2, and and I, I just want to pause there for a minute in these verses because I want you to catch how it how the Bible says it. In verse 6, while they were there, where was there? Bethlehem. The time came for her to give birth. That, you can look in a lot of different versions. I think the King James says something along the lines where the days were fulfilled. That comes the closest to what this word in that original language means. The word day there, the day came, just means a regular old day. It's a 24-hour day. It's nothing... But the way it is expressed, the, the, the verb tenses and all of that, it comes to mean that everything that happened before this happened so this day would be there. If Mary had given, given birth, see, the devil wanted Mary and Joseph to have to travel so that she would miscarry because she was so far, far along. We just had a miracle of a new child born in our family last week, babe, someday last week. My niece gave birth to Janice's brother's first grandchild. Uh, Cecilia, right? I got that right? Okay, I get confused sometimes. So Cecilia was born last week. Great. It was wonderful. She, she was born. Well, it was a day, and it was the day for her to be born. She was born. And so we don't think much of that, except this isn't that Mary, but I, I said that to say, you see how close we are to Thanksgiving? Well, the family always goes to somebody's house for Thanksgiving, but she wouldn't go this year because she was so close to giving birth. She didn't want to mess that up. We don't travel after a certain time, right, ladies, when you're having a baby. I was two weeks late, by the way, and I guess I've never caught up. I'm still late a lot. But it was in 1959 in July, because so pity my mother, okay? But, but back then, you know, you couldn't induce birth or anything else. You got to kind of hang in there and just don't know. And probably the doctors guessed wrong anyway. I was probably right on time. But, but this word means it was the exact time for Jesus to be born. And if Satan had gotten Jesus to be born a day early, that would have messed up God's plan. If he could have kept Jesus from being born that day and being born a day later, it would have messed up God's plan. And God's not going to let the devil mess up his plan. That day was appointed. That day came. Everything in history had led up to that point for that baby to be born in that place at that time. It was predicted by God. Satan's just stupid. Because God had told him where he was going to be born and when. Uh, and, and, and if you're smart enough, and I'm not, you can figure it out from the Old Testament exactly that day. But the devil, he, he never catches on. Uh, thank God he's not that smart. So everything had happened to bring us to this day that Jesus would be born. And in John 1, beginning in verse, verse 14, he begins to tell us about that. It says, it begins, and the word became flesh. That word that was in John 1, 1 has become flesh. And that word becomes flesh is, a, is another Greek word. I'm not throwing out the Greek words because it just you know, makes me sound like I want you to think I'm smart. Um, I, I looked it up. It means it was made to become flesh. In other words, it wasn't that he began. It wasn't that word and the baby started living. It was that something else became flesh. He, and, and he'll modify that out later so you get what, what is going on. But he made him to be flesh. The word flesh there is sarks. It just means he had on, he was in a body. So there was something that put on a body. In other words, here's how I've heard modern people put it, and I love this phrase. He put on an atom suit and moved into the neighborhood. That's what it means. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He lives with us. He lives among us. And so Jesus became 
the word, uh, the word became flesh on that day, and the word lives with us. He dwells with us. He was with God. Now he's with us. Following that? He was identified with God so that you had to be God to be hanging out with God. Now he is flesh and he's with flesh. Following me? Let me tell you how Jesus modifies that in, in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the gardener. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about that. But when the gardener comes to prune the branches, Jesus feels the pruning. He's not the gardener. The father's the gardener. He identifies himself with us even after his resurrection. We are his body. What happens in the body affects him. He's the head of the body. And he feels our pain. He understands our struggles. He knows what we're going through. And so that word lived with us. He is with us. And that word embodied God. Notice what it says there in verse 14. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the father. Full of grace and truth. Let me tell you what only son means. And then full of grace and truth. The only son is a word, monogenes, or genet, uh, in, in Greek. Uh, I, I have to look at it to say it. I can't say it in my head. Um, yeah, monogenes. But it's the, we say the genus of, uh, of a type. This says he's the only type of this. There is no other. By the way, Jesus appears in the Old Testament. Every time you see God in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. Because he's the one that reveals the Father. When he appeared, when he walked with Adam in the cool of the garden, that was Jesus. When he came to Abraham and told him what he was going to do, that was Jesus. When he uh, wrestled with Jacob, that was Jesus. When Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, that was Jesus. When three Hebrew children are thrown into a fiery furnace and are being to be burned alive, and the king said, I see, didn't we throw three in? I see four. And the fourth looks like the Son of Man. That was Jesus. Jesus is the one who always appears. And we call those theophanies, the appearance of God. He makes himself seen at the burning bush and in all those places. But it's always Jesus because no man can see the Father. It repeats that in Hebrews. You cannot see the Father, but Jesus you can see. And so he was born. He put on flesh so we could see God. Can you imagine if Jesus had come like Superman, swooping out of the sky? Here I am, God. You better believe in me. Somebody would have said, well, that was a hallucination. Man, but that was, you know, somebody figured out how to throw a, a um, what do you call those things that, uh, hologram. So you threw a hologram up there and just fooled everybody. It was a magic show. It was a sleight of hand. No, he was born as a baby in a manger. You could put your hands on him. You could, you could hit him, he'd cry. You could not feed him and he would cry. You could have a dirty diaper and he would cry. Some of y'all don't realize Jesus actually went to the bathroom his whole life. I know, you got that little mid, 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 uh, middle ages painting in your Sunday school room of a white Jesus, but that ain't what he looked like. And you know, just walked around like this, always pearly white and doing everything and never touched by dirt or life. That's not Jesus of the Bible. He said he had no form of coming as we'd even desire him. He ate, he suffered, he had to sleep, he got tired, he went to the bathroom. Shh, don't tell anybody. He put on flesh and he was 
with us. But he was the only one of his kind. Now you say you're making too much out of that. That is the exact word used in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It's monogenous. There's nobody like him. Am I a son of God? Yes, but I'm not a son of God like Jesus is. There's a lot of people like me, but there's only one Jesus. He is the firstborn. He is the progenitor of all those who come after him. He is the head of our race. I was born in Adam's race. Now I'm born in Jesus' race. And if you're only born in Adam's race and not born in Jesus' race, hell is your future. If you're born in Adam's race and you're born in Jesus' race, he kills you now and raises you a new creature in Christ. And I don't have to die again. I've already died. I'm just going to leave here and go there. And I can't wait for that day. It's going to be exciting. Amen? Y'all don't believe me because y'all aren't excited. But anyway, that's okay. But notice it says, we could see his glory, grace, and truth. And, and these words, you know, doxa is glory. We sing the doxologies, the glory about the glory of God. Grace is the word charis or cheris. We get the word charismatic. It, it's a gift. It's grace is a gift. Uh, but then also aletheia, which is truth. And that word means no longer concealed or not concealing it. That, that God was concealed and now Jesus shows him to us. Full of glory and grace and the truth of God, of who God is. You want to see God, you got to look at Jesus. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, in verse 15 through 20 something, God said this. He says, God did not appear to us in this way. He spoke to us. He gave us words. So we don't have this idol, this icon. We've got the truth of God in words. We come to the New Testament and Jesus is the word of God. He reveals God to us in what he taught. And it wasn't his image. It was his truth that he revealed God to us. And then Peter, as I was praying earlier, said in the books of First and Second Peter, that though our eyes saw him and our hands touched him and we handled the word of God, we have a more sure word in prophecy. If you don't believe all that, listen to the true story that Jesus told the rich man and Lazarus. And in hell, the rich man cries out, send Lazarus. And, and he says, nope, can't come over there. He says, well, send him back to my brothers and so that they can be warned not to come to this place. And Abraham said, they got Moses and the prophets. That's a... Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. They got the Old Testament. Let them believe those. And they said, no, 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 no. They'll believe. They're not going to believe that, but they'll believe if one rises from the dead. And Abraham in heaven says this to the rich man in hell. If they won't believe this, they won't believe if one rises from the dead. Now, I've got many a liberal friend in the Southern Baptist controversy of decades ago that said, well, you know, not everywhere in the Bible's true and all that. And I said, oh, so you're God. You get to pick what God really said and didn't say, number one. And number two, you're lost. Because if you don't believe this, you can't be saved. According to the testimony of Abraham in heaven. That's strong words, but I want you to understand the word put on flesh and dwelt among us so we could see God. He revealed God to us. It, 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 well, it's just exciting to me. And then he says, notice what he says there at the end of verse 14, uh, or, or, or into 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
And it says in verse 16, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In other words, God gives us a gift, and he gives us a greater gift, and a greater gift, and a greater gift, and a greater gift. And when we walk with him, we're walking from where we, he first reveals himself to us, and we respond positively to his invitation to believe in him and to, to let him make us a new creature. And then we start growing in grace, in the gifts of God, in the faith in God, until one day we get to see him. We go from grace to grace to grace to grace to grace. Now, sometimes life doesn't look like that. Sometimes life looks like it beats you down and you can never get ahead. But Paul said this, even though this outer man is deteriorating and going away, the inner man is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It is the struggles of life that cause us to cry out to God so that our inner man is strengthened even though our outer man is decaying. That is the heresy, by the way, of the movement that you can have your best life now. That you're supposed to be comfortable here. No, our inner self is to, and they and a lot of times folks in that movement like to quote the verse well I pray that you will prosper it says as your soul prospers in other words as you grow in Christ may God bless your efforts to let Christ be known in your life it's not about gaining maternal uh, material wealth so I almost said maternal eternal and material at the same time and it I, I would have been just about as bad as what Andy said being married to a teenager um, Because in those verses it says this, because Moses gave us the law, but the law had no strength. The law brought conviction of sin, but it gave us no power to obey it. In Christ, the law is within us because God himself comes to live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was born, put on flesh, dwelt with us so that he could die for us on a cross so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. He paid for our sin and his death so he could send the Holy Spirit to us to live in us. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we receive the power, the gifts, the grace of God to live like Christ lived because that's how he did it. You getting this? He is not, he's more than our example. He is the prototype. As a man filled with the Holy Spirit, he did everything he did. He says, now I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you can do the same. He said, you can do greater than what I did. Really? Yeah. You can talk to a lost person and give them Christ and watch their lives change. Jesus did that, but he said we could do that in abundance. And so we come to the question that needed answering in verse 18. And by the way, I got that out of verse 17. I didn't reread it. For the law was given... Through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The revelation and the gift comes through Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything from God. And in Christ, you've got everything from God. You see, not all religions lead to heaven. Not all religions lead to God. Most, well, I'll, I'll start to say most. All religions lead to hell. But a relationship with Christ leads to God, truth, and grace. You with me? This isn't about a religion. This is about a relationship. If it was about a religion, he would have just left us with the Ten Commandments. But it's about a relationship, so it became flesh, so we could know him, so we could have a relationship with him, so he could walk with us and talk with us as we go through life, right? And show us that he is the way, as the hymn writer wrote. Well, in verse 18, we come to the question, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He's made him known. See, when you read that verse, the question ought to be, well, how do you see God? 
And only Jesus can answer that question. The one who is at God's side has made him known. He was there at God's side. What does that mean at God's side? Well, look in Revelation. Look in Hebrews. That there is a throne. And on that throne sits God. And he is light. And he is such a light. There's no shadow in that light. That that light doesn't create its own shadow. All light that we have creates its own shadow. We cannot make a light bulb or a source of light that doesn't cast its own shadow. But the Bible says that God is light in a way that he doesn't even cast a shadow. And so man can't look on him or it'll kill him. So the son who is seated at his right hand got off the throne, put on flesh and dwelt among us. And in Bethlehem he was born into that fleshly body that we could see God. The one who was beside him, he has revealed him to us. Jesus made him known. And by the way, this is... And I just got to go back to the original language because it's so rich. But it starts with the word that means out of, and it ends with geomai. He came out of heaven to earth. It means to consider aloud, to release, to unfold, to declare it. He's declared him. He's shown him. He's come out of heaven and shown us God so that we can see who God is. You remember... I think I already said it, but what Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. He said, Philip, I've been with you this long and you haven't seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John chapter 14. And back there in Luke, in chapter 2, in verses 15 to 17, listen what the angels uh, say and then what the shepherds do. And when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What were they told? It said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, with your death clothes, and lying in a manger. And then there's a multitude of angels, of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And they said, let's go see this. Do you understand? That's what God calls us to at Christmas. Come see what I did. We rush out to see this mighty work of God and we find a baby. Wrapped in death clothes, lying in a feeding trough. I mean, we've made it so sanitary. You've got to understand. They're in a stable and they've got no bed. And they, lay, they wrap Jesus up like a dead man. And lay him where the animals eat out of. That's what a manger is. I mean, go home, curl up in your dog's bowl. Say, that's gross. Go out to one of these guys that got cows and lay down in the, where the cows eat. That's nasty, exactly. And Jesus left a perfect, sanitary, clean, wonderful, glorious heaven where all the angel multitudes worshipped him. And he put on flesh to live with us. So where are you going to go? He can't be. The psalmist said, I can't go to the highest mountain and he's not there. I can't go to the lowest valley. He said, even if I made my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You can't get out of the presence of God because Jesus came to be with us. That's what Emmanuel 
mean? So what can you do this week? Well, you can do a lot of things, but I would recommend that you stop and worship this Christ. The one that is revealed in Scripture, not the one of our imagination. The one who was in heaven, but he left heaven and put on flesh and dwelt among us. Worship him. And then, while you're stopping, I would stop and share Christ with someone who doesn't know him. Because it's not about being a Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal. Certainly not about being a Buddhist or any of the other false religions. It's about knowing Christ. So stop and be Christ for someone. Because that's what he made you to be. That's what the word Christian means, a little Christ. Be Christ for someone. Sacrifice for someone. Give for someone. Do for someone. Show them the love of Christ. And when they say, why are you doing that? Say, because... Christ saved me because he became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory is the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and he's revealed the father to us and so I'm free to serve you because Jesus has saved me so worship him know him share him and be him the Bible says in 1st John as he is so we are in this world the book of first john in other words as jesus is that's what he's called us to be in this world